0: Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In times of spiritual and moral chaos, it can be hard to discern truth from error and to apply it to all of life. God's word is not silent, and we don't have to be either. This is Once for All Delivered with Caleb Castro and Andrew Smith.
1: Greetings, oh fat lads and lasses. It is another live stream, this time on a Thursday night. I am Andrew Smith.
2: I am Caleb Castro.
1: And we are doing something tonight we've done before, although this is our first time doing it live and doing it on video. But we're coming back to our occasional series comparing catechisms since I serve in the OPC and Caleb serves in the URCNA. We've been walking through... Our respective catechisms, the Heidelberg and then the Westminster Shorter, occasionally also looking at the Westminster Larger, uh, seeing how they talk about the things that they talk about, how they're similar, maybe where there's some differences, um, and hopefully to try to build some Reformed ecumenicity. Did I say that word right? Sure. I mean, would you would would anyone know if I didn't? I prefer the term Reformed Catholicity. Catholicity. Yep. That's that's not going to confuse anybody. i put a shout out to your boy, Danny Hyde. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, no, that, that is true. Yeah, I interned under Danny Hyde in seminary, and Reformed Catholicity was one of uh, his big emphases. It's a big emphasis a lot of places, Uh, Basically, an emphasis on uh, how Reformed theology did not just begin with the Reformation. It is, in fact, a representative of true uh, biblical theology. Not biblical theology, as you know, the discipline we know it now, but the theology taught in the Bible throughout the history of the church. uh, Closely identified, for instance, with the resourcement movement and going back into older sources and. Uh, showing this continuity but that's a whole other can of worms that has very little to do with what we're doing here tonight almost nothing yep actually so so what are we doing tonight well first we
2: uh i first i believe there's an update uh in order uh andrew you uh you recently just went on uh, another podcast uh tell us a little about that
1: uh, yeah, yesterday, so Wednesday, um, I did a an hour and a half or so recording session with Aldo Leon for his Kingdom Polemics podcast. Uh, Pastor Aldo, he's down in the Miami area in the PCA, and we recorded on the topic of the theology of Meredith Quine and some of the issues in there, so I'm sure there's nothing in that that Anyone will find controversial or upsetting, Um, but basically, looking at some of the issues in Quine's theology, probably expect that to come out in the next week or two on Kingdom Polemics, and we'll be sharing it and stuff when it does.
2: Okay, so we can cross post. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Hype. So. Yeah. Hype. (laughs) So yeah, building those relationships. Um, Yeah. And today, though, down. or turning them down, that too at the same time, we're, we're productive, yes, and counterproductive. I don't know,
1: <laughs> we so, are all things to all people. <laughs> there we go.
2: So, uh, yeah, this episode has nothing to do with uh, Meredith Klein, I think. Yeah, we'll see where we could squeeze it in, but uh, and this episode has nothing to do with reformed Catholicity uh, as such, but uh. We are looking at uh, Lord's Day 4 using uh, the structure of the Heidelberg Catechism as a guide. Uh, We're looking at Lord's Day 4 still in this first part of the Catechism's three-part structure, the section on man's sin and misery. Uh, Just a brief note, because it'll have to come up here slightly. Lord's Day 3 speaks about how man was not created uh, evil. (laughs) that uh, uh, Ultimately... Uh, Man was created uh, good and in the image of God, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, uh, that he might truly know God his creator. Uh, You can think also of Westminster Catechism, what is the chief end of man? So there's a little crossover there. So man was created for God. Uh, And that, well, that uh, got bad. The uh, because man sinned, and so now we're gonna look at that. Was a great description, right? Very theological. Uh, now we're gonna look at Lord's Day four and talking more about sin. Um, yeah, so
1: yeah, gotta, and we'll also yeah. be alongside that, uh, looking at a uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, mainly questions 17 through 19. We might be looking both backward a little further and mm-hmm. forward a little further because they're not entirely coextensive, uh, but dealing with the same sort of material yeah it's logical to sin and misery because what better topic to talk about on a relaxing thursday night than sin and misery
2: that's right over a nice warm cup of coffee and yeah uh and uh yeah i, I, I pulled some notes from uh actually a sermon i've done on this not too long ago um and actually what you're saying you know uh what what better topic uh i mean i actually started this with us by stating this is i would say undoubtedly the darkest of the lord's days in the catechism this is the darkest instruction to go into because it doesn't just talk about the fall but also about god's holy wrath you'll notice here how the, you remember that it, as as a, as a catechism in its format, uh, how the how Heidelberg how, catechism style is a little bit more subjective in a sense. It, it's more you could say uh, an experiential, uh, personal discussion. And so you have the instru, uh, you have the uh, the student, the catechumen, asking questions, and the catechist, the instructor, responding. And here in this Lord's Day, the the student asks three questions on the objection of God, uh, of God's anger and wrath against sin. Ultimately, this Lord's Day really has to do with uh, God's justice um, as its frame. Uh, so we'll see that as we go here what What sort of objections the student poses to uh, to learning that uh, man's corrupt nature uh, came from our parents in the garden and that our nature is poisoned so that we are all conceived and born in sin?
1: Yeah. Now, as far as on the Westminster Shorter side of things, so uh, some of the background to this pertaining to the fall itself we touched on last time, uh, the sin being the eating of the forbidden fruit, uh, the terms of the covenant of works or the covenant of life. The Catechism uses the term covenant of life. The Westminster Confession uses covenant of works, but referring to the same thing. Uh, But keeping in mind, you know, we look at the subjective, more subjective emphasis of the Heidelberg Catechism. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for us? Uh, As usual, the Westminster treats these issues in a more objective way. Uh, The sinfulness is the... Basically, what does this mean as far as our righteousness, which is it's lost... um, as well as what does this mean for our nature and our continuing in sin. And then the misery deals more with the consequences of it. And as we see, there are two categories of consequences. And if you look in the larger catechism, it fleshes these out more explicitly, how there are consequences of sin in this life and then consequences of sin in the life to come. There are, and there's nothing... A wrong or unreformed or whatever to think of this, there are temporal consequences of our sin. Um, it's okay to believe that. Now, we need to properly understand it. We don't want to get into any kind of health and wealth type situation. Uh, but yes, there are temporal consequences of sin. But then, of course, death itself and the things that come after eternal consequences.
2: Yeah, that's actually a, that, that's a point that uh, you find also in the Heidelberg when you're looking at uh, question answer uh, uh, ten. Will God permit such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? And it states that in uh, God's anger or, or from God's anger, uh, his uh, his his response to. Um, both the sins we are born with and our actual sins, so again that crossover language, actual sins committed not just that which is the sin that's inherited from our first parents, God will punish them by a just judgment both now and in eternity Um, we'll come back to that those perhaps uh, uh, scripture references in a moment One, one for the Heidelberg Catechism there notes Romans 1 18, in speaking of, uh, man, basically God giving up man to his, uh, uh, to the loss of his flesh in its context. But, uh, but first here, and in, in also, uh, uh, question answer nine, um, you get another bit of, uh, some of that crossover there with the Westminster, um, the Heidelberg uses the phrase, uh, "So, but, but, doesn't God do man an injustice by requiring in His law what man is unable to do? So, if man is so wicked, then, and and totally uh, depraved, if he's a slave to sin, then how is, you know, how, how is that fair? Is basically the question. Um, the uh, the catechism saying that well, the that well, man had the ability to keep the law to obey." Uh, it wasn't God who disobeyed, who broke His own law, who broke covenant, who severed the fellowship. It was at the instigation of the devil that man, in willful—that is, a, a, a it's his own voluntary, knowing the consequences, having been spelled out for him in the garden. If you eat of this fruit, uh, then you know you shall surely die. He robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts, referring to um, his innocent, uh, his, his, his uh, original righteousness, referring to the image of God of true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And you get that, that crossover, I think, here with uh, when, when the catechism, uh, pardon me, when the Heidelberg speaks of, uh, actually, no, don't pardon me. When the catechism... <laughs> Um, <laughs> Let me continue. So I just
1: <laughs> be, because of the hazards of live performance, it's been brought to my attention that when we read and when I switched the screens over to the catechisms, the audio cut out. So don't worry, that was nothing important there. <laughs> no, censorship. But, um, no, we read the text of the catechisms. Lord's Day four, and then 17 through 19 of the Westminster, and we made the best comments on them ever, and now they're lost forever.
2: Oh, okay. So we have to start all over.
1: I mean, we don't have to start all over. Okay. But we could walk back a little. Okay. But then I'd have to edit this, and that would be just be a nightmare. That's okay. Well, let's just let's
2: just point right here at question answer nine, and go from there forward. Okay. All right. Since we're right here, so. Yeah, um, did we have anything on, uh, what I was saying already from question answer nine?
0: Um,
1: well, <laughs> this is great. Um, it's okay. yeah, I just went uh, when we were reading and so any comments you interjected as you were reading those, those went away. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Uh. So, so yes. mine about original sin, and then yours about the catechumen and the the subjective discussion. Okay,
2: well, let me state with this then that, uh, um, yeah. So so right here with with the question, uh, the questions that are being asked in Lord's Day four, uh, the questions are asked by the student, the catechumen, and the the uh, answers are from the instructor, the the catechist. Uh, The way that the student asks the questions are like objections to uh, having just learned in Lord's Day 3 that uh, man is so corrupt and totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil. That even that because the fall has so poisoned our nature that we are all conceived and born in sin. So, I mean, I don't know if if you're reformed or if you hold to uh the doctrines of grace uh with with you know uh total depravity, uh, when you try to talk about total depravity with someone, that we are that bad and actually worse than we believe, how someone gets really angry, like, well, what about all the good stuff people do? What about uh, you know, I mean, how, how is how is that fair that if uh you know, that, that if we're so corrupt and we're, we're so wicked uh, that we can't do any good, how is it fair that God still punishes us then? Uh, that That's what's being asked here. Like question nine, doesn't God do man in injustice? Isn't he being unjust by requiring us to still keep his law when we can't? And the instructor basically says, well, no, you have to remember that. Man was created very good. He was created with the in the image of God, in true righteousness, uh, in in holiness, and in, in, uh, in true knowledge of God. He was equipped with all the tools needed to do what he was made for. That is to worship God and enjoy Him forever. It's it's all uh, it's all man's um, fault. He's the he, he's he's to blame for his own sin. Uh, the catechism says, yeah, at the instigation of the devil and the devil is held accountable himself for his, his sins and his temptations. But the catechism, uh, the Heidelberg catechism here in answer nine says it was in willful disobedience that he disobeyed. And that's why he doesn't have this original righteousness anymore. That's why he his the image of God is shattered and that he is inclined towards all evil. And I think, that's, I mean, that, that, that's crossed over with the Westminster Shorter Catechism right there, too, in 17, where it, it says that, uh, that uh, uh, the fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. That statement of brought mankind. Yeah, in right. disobedience, he robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts.
1: Yeah, and then, of course, that Sin of the states of sin and misery worked out in the next two questions. So, question eighteen of the shorter: uh, this the sinfulness consists of uh, the guilt of Adam's sin, the want of original righteousness, the corruption of his whole nature, called original sin. So, original sin because people often think, "Oh, that's that's a Roman Catholic doctrine." No, it's a Protestant doctrine. Uh, We we believe in it too. And then also that together with all actual transgressions that proceed from it. So the sins that we actually commit. And then go the misery deals with the consequences of that sin. Uh, So there is both temporal and eternal consequences. There are consequences of this sin that we experience in this life. All of the things that attest to us that the world is not the way that it's supposed to be. Uh, Suffering, death, illness... Uh, all the things that go with that. Um, the death, uh, death, you know, death as we experience at the end of this mortal life. And also life. death. Yes, death, 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 <laughs> and death. Um, but then also the eternal consequences, uh, the pains of hell forever, eternal condemnation. Uh, but going back to this this question about justice, because this is... I think it's a very important question. It's important for a lot of reasons. It's important uh, in apologetics uh, because a lot of people, uh, they sort of, uh, they sort of, one of the excuses that you'll hear thrown up as to why people don't believe in God, why they don't believe in Christ, why they don't believe in the Bible is they think that it's unfair and unjust to man. Uh, One of the things that I think could help us to think through this is to think of it in terms of some things we've talked about before and to think of it covenantally. And we talked about that covenant of works. And it was a covenant that God made with man on the condition of perfect, personal, and perpetual obedience to use language that the Westminster Standards use elsewhere. That requirement still remains. The curse the condemnation that comes under the covenant of works still remains binding. Although after the fall, God enters into a covenant of grace, that penalty of the covenant of works is still enforced. Um, uh, until or unless uh, that righteousness is fulfilled by another, which we get into later as we work through the catechisms, but not tonight.
2: Yeah. And the, uh, you're speaking of a uh, you're speaking of uh, a moment ago of uh, God does actually punish um, and not just we're not talking about just in the future not not in just the the at the final judgment but he also does uh, as the Heidelberg says punish man by a just judgment both now and in eternity and um, and it, uh, you know, it, it states the reason uh, a couple sentences prior to that in answer ten. Uh, you know, the question is, will God permit such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? So the this, this second objection in this question is, is not well. Hey, how is this fair? Now he's asking. Uh, the student is asking, like, uh, you know, can't God just turn a blind eye? You know, can't He just like you know overlook that? Like, uh, forgive me for putting it irreverently you know can't he just let it go forgive and forget and the reason that god will judge justly by punishment now in eternity is that he is terribly angry with the sins that we are born with as well as our actual sins and this is a partial reference to original sin i say partial so i'll note in a second here but key phrase, he is terribly angry and this is speaking of the wrath of God um, the citation that that the Heidelberg gives for uh, that God will punish now and in eternity uh, there's like several scripture references, uh, Exodus 34 7, this, this covenantal revealing of, of God's self as he passes by Moses uh, after the uh, with the giving of the law on Sinai uh, and God says of himself, of his, of his character, his attributes, that he keeps steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. So he does forgive, but who also will know by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So God doesn't forget the sins of those who are uh, in the status of guilty, Um, So someone who was not pardoned by uh, really covered by Christ's blood. Um, But uh, Psalm 5, 4 to 6, I won't note all these, but Psalm 5, verses 4 to 6 says that uh, you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. And there's there's that key there of what sin does Um, because. Sin, the fall into sin, this estate is that man has become so corrupt, and both by his inherited sin and his actual sins, uh, God will not be in fellowship and dwell with sinful man. Uh, this is, the psalmist continues, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Uh, so all of man's iniquity is regarded as ungodliness, unrighteousness, a suppression of the truth. It is the opposite of the image of God. It is the polar opposite, if you will. It's it's so contrary to him that it is not the image of God,
1: but the image of the devil. Um. yeah yeah another thing too on the question of justice you know you, you raised the objection you often hear well can't God just overlook it can't God just let it go well no he can't and you know some are inclined to say well what are you talking about you're saying that God can't do something you know it's like the old fake conundrum yeah. can God create a rock so big that he can't lift it well the answer is Yes, insofar as, you know, it, it, to the question, is there things God can't do? Yes, God cannot act contrary to his nature. He will not act contrary to his nature. And his nature is just, and his nature is righteous, and his nature is holy. And if he were to overlook our sin, if we were to uh, not treat it uh, as it deserves, um, either upon us or upon a vicarious substitute, uh, then, I mean, God would be acting contrary to His nature. Uh, God would uh, cease to be God. He would not. Uh, I mean, we don't even we can't even grasp like what the implications of this would be. But uh, God would cease to be God essentially if He did that. Right. Uh,
2: and you're, you're hitting on the you're hitting on the key point there, really, of of, of the counter argument. Um, And I, I was looking up here, uh, pulling up a verse that came to mind from Psalm 90, verse 11. Who considers, so who knows the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, so we, we can't even understand exactly God's wrath uh, entirely. And I think we, we won't really in a full sense until, uh, unless rather, I should say, unless we undergo the torments and agony of hell. Like that's when I think that, that that's when his, his wrath is uh, his, he unrestrains his hand of his wrath, his full wrath against the wicked. But uh, another roadblock to, I think what, to what, what, you know, people's issue with, if you will, uh, God, God's anger, his terrible anger is that uh, you know we have kind of a uh, especially in the 20th century onwards a, a psychological um, perception of anger. Um, it's not isolated to the 20th century. Uh, clearly, in the 16th century, when you know the Heidelberg was written, the objections show. Well, yeah, how can God be so angry? How can God not just look the other way? But I think we especially have it today where. The idea is that God has uh, God has a, a human kind of anger, basically, a that that it's simply a passion. Um, we we don't understand that he's that his anger is purely righteous, and what that really would look like. Um, when we get anger, we're we're pulled by different. You know, by pulled by different emotions, we're swayed by by various factors in a situation, and we can we rarely act with a righteous anger. Um, God doesn't get angry because He's uh, He doesn't get angry because He uh, from any source of evil, He. Isn't getting angry just because we broke his law. He's angry and wrathful because sin so offends his perfection. Mm-hmm. It's uh, like I said a second ago. It's it's so contrast.
1: Yeah, in a certain sense. I mean, you know, we kind of have to speak about it in this ectypal and analogical mm-hmm. language this baby talk, when we talk about God getting angry, well, God is immutable and impassable. He doesn't change. He doesn't experience emotions. He doesn't enter into a state of anger um, in the way that we would think. Uh, But what what this means is that, yes, our sin so offends His holiness, it is so contrary to His holiness, that the only fitting and proper... uh, stance that God can have towards it is wrath and anger and just judgment
2: and I mean that that's that's the if we want to put it this way uh, that's the scandal if you will or the 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 uh controversy if you will to put it somewhat provocatively I guess for fun uh the the, the scandal of the cross that this holy God, Knowing what we're like and how much man offends God by his sin, how God in himself, of his whole person, opposes the sinner and hates sin, like we read from the psalm, uh, that God would actually come down as his own servant, as, as the son of man to save man from his sin that man would again see the image of God and then also be conformed into it through Christ. So the very, salvation is, uh, this is why salvation to the natural mind is just so uh, such a foolish idea. It, it, it doesn't seem logical to believe in this because really what God doesn't make you work for, you know, work for yourself. That doesn't make you prove yourself what God would, would actually come down to. If man is this bad would come down and save man from what he himself can't save himself of. And that's, well, it's the God of the Bible.
1: Right. But this also, I mean, reveals to us the true power and the wonder and the awe that should be inspired in us at the hearing of the gospel when we recognize what we are saved from. And I think this is very important to contemplate uh, as we think about evangelism and as we think about, you know, those of us who preach, uh, how we handle and present the gospel to people. Because so much in our day of the church and of preaching and teaching and stuff seeks to downplay sin. Uh, We live in such a therapeutic moment and a therapeutic culture where, you don't want to make people feel bad. You don't want to offend them. You don't want to inflict on them pain or trauma or any sort of thing. And so things like preaching the, the fullness and the extent of the wrath of God against sin and the fullness and extent of man's wickedness and depravity are things that are frowned upon and often neglected. But if we lose those, if we lose the depths of our sin and misery then we start to strip the gospel of its power, where the gospel turns into something, as it often is in many churches today, of, well, you're pretty good, but God can make you better. He's just sort of like an accessory you add on to your already pretty good life and pretty good self, um, which is just a total twisting and perversion of who we are and what Christ has done for us.
2: Yeah, it makes grace cheap instead of abounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, actually, a, a fast a fast pause for uh, uh, for the, the question and answer. Uh, I was I was weighing back and forth to, to note this, but this is really this 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 argument, if you will, or this this debate or distaste of uh, man's wickedness is, I mean, just so old. Um, even in, 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 in let's, let's say, just after biblical, uh, the, the closing of the biblical canon, we could just think of a uh, famous controversy some, uh, let's see, 1600 years ago, roughly, uh, of a debate that uh, the theologian Augustine had with, uh, with the British monk Pelagius. Uh, Augustine had written uh, basically words, uh, command what you will, O Lord, but give what you command, basically him praying uh, Lord you command man to obey such as the law such as to repent such as to believe in Christ you command man to obey but I can't I'm a sinner and, and I mean I, I I'm unable to do that so d- please grant me that obedience uh, in this this prayer command what you will give what you command infuriated Pelagius. Uh, Pelagius this is where the logic of man the rationality goes uh, Pelagius rejected that man had fallen and so all people every single person was is born innocent like Adam he would call it a, a blank page able to, to write our own stories able to choose, choose your own adventure kind of uh, story uh, you can do good or do evil um God would never command anyone to obey if they weren't naturally able to do it. Uh, and again, there's that objection from question nine in the Heidelberg. Doesn't man or God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man can't do? But it's this this is this is an old uh old objection. And in I mean the Arminians would take it up uh in the uh, early uh, 17th century saying that like, okay, yeah, man did fall. There is an original sin of sorts, but man's not totally dead in his sins. The falls only made man sick, but we can still choose good or evil. If we, you know, really, really work at it, really think of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's a recurring issue.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think if you want to cut right to the heart of this issue, you look at Ephesians chapter two. And what is the first line of Ephesians chapter two? And you were dead (laughs) in the sins and trespasses in which you once walked. So uh, there, there, I mean, is perhaps the best metaphor of all to describe the state of our sin and misery. Because really death, as I said about seven times earlier, death is one of the punishments of sin in this life. Um, but spiritually speaking, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And what can a dead person do to change his deadness? Uh, nothing. I've, I've used this in sermons before. If if we're, if, if the congregation is gathered together, uh, and this is my funeral and I'm dead, can I get up and start walking around? No, if I do that, everybody's going to run out the back door screaming because... <laughs> Uh, they think I'm a ghost or a zombie or something of that sort. Uh, no, that we do not have the capacity in us post-fall to deliver ourselves out of sin. I mean, that puts Pelagius and Arminius and all the other variations on that that have come since to flight.
2: Yeah, and it's, we're, we're also always going to find as, as natural and sinful man uh, we're we're always going to find some kind of objection to what the bible says uh that we are dead uh, mm-hmm. like you know that that if if let's just say if if question, if question answer nine if, if there's the if there's the, the, the objection that you know uh how's God being fair that, that that's an, basically an accusation like we were saying that oh god is not acting justly and Question ten is saying, okay, well, uh, you know, how how's why can't God then just overlook, uh, overlook and just just forgive and forget uh, all this and just let it go? Well, now that the complaint is that God is being too consistent in His justice, <laughs> you know, so you're kind of like, well, what is it? Uh, I mean, the the, the real the the real issue is that when it comes down to it. Um, do we really want God to deal with us as we deserve with fairness? uh, Like, I mean, if if we're asking for fairness, we're asking for the condemnation that we deserve. You know, if we're asking him to totally just forgive and forget and overlook our sins, well, we still have the problem then, even if he just looks the other way, that we're still not righteous. We're Mm -hmm. still... Corrupt, so there has to be something else there, and that, of course, is Jesus's righteousness. Uh, but the um, and, and and that that that's the nature here of of uh, of original sin. It, it original sin is really a twofold problem. It, it, it's comprised of uh, logically two aspects: original pollution and original guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, that's what the shorter catechism has broken down there uh, from. From a uh, question, uh, question answer uh, eighteen. Um, yeah, where mine go? Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have the the guilt of Adam's first sin and the want of original righteousness. You do have that aspect of it, um, and then the corruption of his whole nature, that polluting element. Um, so it's not only uh, a legal matter uh, in that we are guilty. Um, that we lack the righteousness that we need, but also that, yeah, we are totally corrupt. And so from that then proceeds our actual sins. Uh, This is another thing too, as we talk about these issues of justice, uh, one of the objections against original sin that's often raised, and I mean, it's pretty similar to, I think, what Pelagius and others were doing, is that original sin as a concept is unjust, because it's like, why am I guilty of Adam's sin? I wasn't there. I couldn't do anything about it. Um, I wasn't there in the garden. If I was there, if I was there, I wouldn't have taken the fruit. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Any of us would have. Um, but uh, we we always think so much high, more highly of ourselves than we ought. Um, well, we have to understand for one thing. I mean, Adam stood there as the representative of the whole human race. He is our first father uh, in a spiritual sense and even in a certain physical sense as the, the forefather of all the living, Adam stood there in our place and we all fell in him. We all fell united to him. And this works itself out and proves itself out in that uh, we see this corruption of our, full, of our whole nature You think you wouldn't have took the tree, but have you ever for a moment in your life uh, been free from sin? Have you ever stopped sinning? No, you don't. You can't. Uh, Because uh, this original sin and the corruption uh, and the actual sins that proceed from it, they come to all of us. Uh, It is self-evident that this original sin and all the things that proceed from it belong to all of us.
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, it, 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 there's a similar, well, we don't have to, I wasn't getting, I'm not going to go into this now. I was going to say there's also a, a uh, you know, when, when we think about the righteousness of Jesus Christ, how come, uh, how come if by Adam's sin, all man had fallen and, and is counted wicked, but when with Christ as the second Adam, does his work on the cross? How come not every single, each and individual person is uh, is then saved? And uh, so now I was gonna I was gonna bring something up with that, but now we're I'm gonna pause that and we'll, we'll do that another day. But <laughs> it's like yeah, an election. But uh, just noting what was in my head. Uh, and actually, real fast on that, um, I like how so I have in my hand uh, a uh, the New England copy of the New England Primer. Um, from, uh, this one's about 1804. It's a, uh, it has the, the title, the new England primer improved or an easy and pleasant guide to the art of reading to which is added the assembly's catechism adorned with cuts. Um, and, uh, so this, this is for, this was for a, uh, you know, a, uh, colonial, uh, schoolboys um, you know, for his memorization and his learning and just about the entire thing is all built on, uh, on religious, uh, principles, but in learning, um, what is this? Uh, yeah. In learning the alphabet, um, there's a famous line that, uh, now if, if you're not watching the video, uh, if you're only listening to the podcast, you won't be able to see this. So you might want to go and look at the video for fun, but, um, uh, for the letter A, in Adam's fall we sinned all. And this is this is a this is the uh, what the woodcut was, but right. it also has great. Uh, it also has some other great um and great tools for memorization, like for F, for the letter F. The idle fool is whipped at school.
0: Hmm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> proud diff. chorus. Proud chorus troop was swallowed up. That's K.
1: Hmm.
2: <laughs> so, I mean, but a point here, this is one of the first thing a school kid learns yep. back then. Different uh, and times. This, and this uh, is also <laughs> appended to the uh, appended, like I said, uh, the shorter catechism, but also other things like a hymn on the uncertainty of life. In the This is for a kid. Remember, in the burying place may see graves shorter there than I. From death's arrest, no age is free. Young children, too, may die. My God, may such an awful light awakening be to me. Oh, that by early grace I might for death prepared be. What's impressed here is uh, also a great rhyme. Uh, we used to do poetry a lot better, but... Uh, What's impressed here is the necessity of understanding our sin for this very reason. What it is that we're saved from, the wrath of God. Uh, it's, it is uh, that satisfaction that has to be paid, yes, uh, for the covering of our sins, but then also the righteousness to be credited, to be counted pleasing to God. And that's the dual aspect, really, of, of what, what needs to be resolved with original pollution and original guilt. Man is, uh, when we say man, Adam had been the representative, the whole posterity of the human race coming from him. Uh, I mean, even uh, Acts seventeen twenty six that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Uh, if man was supposed to be his uh you know his prophet priest and king uh, to rule over this world and Adam failed in it then I mean it's it's a uh, how do you how else do you guard regard the rest of mankind
1: mm-hmm.
2: how is any other mankind going any any other man going to act any differently we've seen already in uh what is it um Uh, uh, we already had seen in, um, Oh, let me see here. I can't think of it in Genesis, uh, uh, in Genesis, uh, six at the beginning, um, in the beginning of that chapter that, uh, you know when, when human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them the, son, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful they married any of them became close and then the Lord said my spirit will not contend with humans forever for they are mortal their days will be a hundred and twenty years uh, God's already saying oh sorry what let me fast forward that Verse five: The Lord saw how great. So this is early on in the spread of man. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. It's, I mean, that that's not, in a sense, biblically speaking. This isn't too long after the fall. Typically uh, speaking, in terms of the chapters, uh, this is this really isn't that much time in a sense. Uh, I mean, you're turning just a few pages from Genesis three, and the point that's being driven home already is man is always
1: wicked. hmm Yeah, uh, though there is, I mean, a certain amount of restraint upon man's wickedness. You know, that distinction we've talked about before between total depravity and utter depravity. Even that restraint, uh, that's a function of common grace. That's a function of God's goodness toward man, and that uh, God restrains man, prevents man from, you know, completely uh, destroying himself and destroying the world in his wickedness. You think, you know, not that much later, but after the flood, the episode of the Tower of Babel. Yeah. Yeah. The, a man that is all gathered together in one place. And when you gather all of humanity together in one place, you have this increase of wickedness. And then you have man advancing in power and technology and all of these kinds of things, but also using it for evil purposes, using it to try to usurp God's rightful place, using it for idolatry. And so God... uh, Yes, the separation of Babel is a curse, but in a certain sense, it's also a help. It's a an, an act of this common grace whereby God is restraining man's wickedness, uh, basically protecting man from himself, dispersing man on the earth so that man man's wickedness might not multiply so greatly that man would destroy himself. So,
2: and you're you're speaking of common grace and also like how how. Uh this distinction between utter depravity and holistic uh 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 total depravity um look at look at this from like a human standpoint in a sense uh in in at the tower of babel everyone was working together humanity was all united and you know they, they have this big goal and this big vision i mean man is cooperating with one another and in an underline this here the the in an earthly perspective in a fallen man perspective man is doing good to one another perceived good they're they're working together isn't that what everybody is like like is always talking about like in this day and age like yeah you want to acknowledge diversity but like in our society here in America you know all that diversity they everyone wants to be uh have a utopian society working together and you know, getting along. Well, here they're getting along and working together just fine in, in Babel. And yet, in their actions, from their earthly good to one another, they're opposing God. The man united and is doing good together to do evil against God, to, mm-hmm. to rebel further against him. So, I mean, it's, and we, it's this amazing reversal.
1: <laughs> and we see this in our day. I mean, essentially all that our culture and society is pressing it's oriented towards this radical personal autonomy that man is completely self-determining uh and that's why that's why so many people bristle at these things we've talked about like sin uh, particularly original sin uh being accountable to god's wrath even the thought of death you know you read from that school book from 180 was it 1803 um the reality of death was very much more before those people. Nowadays, I mean, I think you've got a lot of people who legitimately think, like, I'm never going to die because we're working towards even things like transhumanism where
0: mm-hmm.
1: we can actually escape our physical limitations, overcome uh, overcome death itself. You hear about it in science fiction and stuff, but even... These ideas of things like when you die, you can upload your consciousness into the cloud and you continue to live on in some capacity. Uh, but but really, I mean, you see this working on our day. I mean, we did almost two hours last week on the transgender crisis, and uh, that's a form of that. I I even I am so self determining and I am so autonomous. Even something as clearly created and innate as my sex, I can be freed from and liberated and overcome and change even that. And that's just one example of it. Uh, But because there's, and really in a lot of ways, it seems like we're kind of at our own Tower of Babel moment, it seems, where man is trying to climb into the heavens and usurp God and almost feels like I don't mean to be too much of a prophet of doom here, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but but God's going to have to uh, to set us back lest we self destruct the trajectory that humanity is currently going.
2: And if we're if we're not to call this a self destruction already, uh, yeah, I mean it's this is what we were talking about too a bit ago of God will punish man for for the sins we're born with and our actual sins by adjust judgment both now and in eternity
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: so we, we, we could perceive this this uh, like Romans uh, you know like Romans 118 onwards says uh, that the Lord does give up the wicked to their sin I mean mm-hmm. it's it's this is an unhindrance uh, of uh, a lessened restraint if you will still restrained but lessened there's a, a I was going to say like a you know this 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 idea of wanting to live forever that man wants to live forever there's there's already a notion of that that seed of religion there that man is not uh you know that man was meant to live onwards though they're omitting live on with god uh there's also an acknowledgement of the spirit. They, they might say, like, oh, yeah, you upload something of yourself, of your personality or your mind, something from your brain, you know, so it continues on. Uh, I mean, they're, they're trying to find a way to upload the spirit or the soul. And yet, even if the body deteriorates, but, you know, God's going to punish eternally both body and soul.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, even if you, you know, can turn yourself into a robot and somehow inhabit that robot, eventually that robot's going to burn because God's coming to judge the earth. Christ is returning to judge the earth. And this
2: is uh you know looking at uh you know looking at a question answer uh, 11 here. Um, you know, you hear the tone shift of the uh of the student asking, "Well, OK, if, if, you know, OK, it, I guess it, I guess God is like, you know, just and, and you know, I guess he's being fair. Uh, but then can't he just have mercy? Isn't God also merciful? And the and the instructor says God is certainly merciful, but he is also just. So he's saying these two things aren't in conflict. His justice demands that sin committed against his supreme majesty be punished with the supreme penalty though if you will the punishment has to fit the crime and that crime is a act of hatred or evil against perfect holiness perfection and that punishment is eternal punishment of body and soul and you get that kind of echo of question answer one and talking about the comfort in life and in death that i'm not my own but belong uh In uh, life and death in body and soul pardon me both uh, body and soul life and in death there's an appeal right there but this is your your non-comfort this is for your supreme punishment um which is that torment and agony of his wrath um forever uh the uh, You get this kind of crossover language right here. I think this is the strongest parallels with the shorter catechism right there. Uh, this is all because of a lost communion with God. Um, if you want to read that one, 19.
1: Yep. yep. What, what is the misery of that estate wherein to man fell? All mankind by their fall lost communion with God and are under his wrath and curse and so made liable to all miseries in this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. So, yeah, I mean, there you have it. uh, That supreme penalty, eternal punishments of body and soul. Um, Which, again, uh, you know, this even puts it in contrast with question one of the Shorter Catechism. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, but this presses you to the opposite of enjoying God forever. The opposite of enjoying God forever is facing eternal punishment of body and soul forever. Actually, the larger catechism puts it even more uh, more upfront and graphically. Question 29, what are the punishments of sin in the world to come? The punishments of sin in the world to come are everlasting separation from the comfortable presence of God. So again, yeah. not enjoying God forever there. And most grievous torments in soul and body. So that body and soul language without intermission in hellfire forever.
2: Yeah, that's uh it it's kind of It's kind of frightening with like um you look at the uh, the proof text there for the shorter Catechism in nineteen when it says all mankind are under His wrath and curse. Uh, pardon me, uh, all mankind by their fall lost communion with God. That this this all comes from a severing of fellowship, of relationship, something that was so 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 beautiful and so uh I mean, fulfilling. I mean, what what person even the most even the most cynical, wicked, depraved person doesn't want some kind of, even if they deny it, human contact, some kind of contact with someone else. Someone to even just just I mean to hear, to understand, an interaction. And that proof text says, Oh man lost communion with God. That is that is misery in in the Heidelberg's original language and in, in the Middle German. Misery is alienation, separation. And that's already felt uh, in Genesis three eight, that scripture proof that Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Mm-hmm. So there's there's an immediate shirking away from what was to be their their chief end, what was to be their only comfort. And man's been running away from that ever since, really. (laughs) The, uh, yeah, the, the, um, I think one of the last notes I had here, a thought, was uh, that language of curse. Um, Because it's being appealed to both by the Shorter Catechism and uh, question and answer 10. Uh, that the, the, the just judgment both now and eternity is upon the basis of uh, Deuteronomy twenty seven twenty six. cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law, and then the cross reference from Galatians three ten, uh, 10 that, that quotes that passage from Deuteronomy uh, so here, here we see that this is the nature of the curse for, the, this, this is this is the result of the severing of the covenant, breaking the terms of what we owe God. Um, it is a cursing. I and mean, what is the opposite of cursing in biblical language?
1: Blessing. It's
2: blessing. Again, I mean, like, you, you get these, like, enormous, sad um, inversions of the created nature. Mm-hmm. Literally, this, this one act of Adam and Eve, this one act of man literally upends
1: creation. Yep. And I mentioned before briefly too, but we see this in all the ways and all the things we live with and all the things that we experience in this world that testify that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. You know, you mentioned before when we were talking about like transhumanism and a man's desire to live forever. Why does man have a desire to live forever? Because man was not created to die. Why does man, why do people feel offended at evil when it's done against them? Why are you mad when someone lies to you, someone cheats on you, someone steals from you? Because man was created to live in true knowledge and righteousness and holiness. Uh, why do we... Why are we... Uh, so... Confused and... and uh, Struggling and whatever when we face things like illness... Or injury or things of that life. Um, you know, why do people get cancer? Why do... Um, you know, why do people get in car accidents and die or they get maimed? Why is there war? Why is there all these forms of suffering? Um, we see these things and we recognize the evil within them and we recognize that there just seems something so very wrong about them. And that is because we were created to live in a life of peace and blessed fellowship with our God. Um, experientially we look at the world around to us and though we may try to run and hide from it it, it all testifies to us the truth of what we've read here and this sin and misery and, and what it has done to us and what it has done to the world yeah and the uh, I didn't note
2: that the last, the basis of the last objection it's its nature for question and answer 11 when this, when this I, I, I spoke the question and answer but the question is, but isn't God also merciful? The, the the nature of the objection, if you want to put it in really modern terms, is, isn't God supposed to be love?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That, and, I mean, how many times uh, have you heard that, uh, you know, someone say that kind of thing, especially non-believers? They—I think that that's, that's an amazing, uh, ignorant confession, but a confession— uh of understanding who God is. That yes, mm-hmm. God is love. Um the okay, catechism says yes, he also just. He is also love. Uh but we're we're looking at we're looking at the punishment of sins as an unloving action and yet uh there's Well, so I'm looking at Romans 9. Um, I had brought up the point already earlier that when you consider our total depravity and just how wicked man is, um, you have to wonder how it is that God could make a covenant of grace in the first place. How God, from right at the outset, would put in the plan to redeem man and then do so for eternal fellowship, for reconciliation, for his people. But Romans 9, I think, puts this point. Uh, You know, God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has, right here, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, there's justice, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. I mean, what mm-hmm. a, uh, if you could put it in again, something of a modern term, what a, a, a tension there. Uh, not not a, a, an irresolvable, not an uncomfortable tension, but a, I mean, there's this balance in showing his perfect justice and his perfect love. That mm-hmm even though he is going to destroy those vessels of wrath at the same time he's going to give glory to the vessels of mercy and this is what puts that imperative on the the gospel, um, the preaching of the gospel indiscriminately to all nations, to all peoples Uh, you know, just as a note, we can't, you know, guess at our uh, at election. We can't judge someone else's election. We don't know if someone who apostatizes or whatever is going to, you know, or, or rejected God their whole life, if you will, will, you know, confess on their deathbed. In any case, it's God who saves. And by faith, we're giving our yes and amen that yeah, God is fair, God is just, and God is merciful. And our our call is to confess our sins, repent, submit to His Majesty,
1: worship Him, and to obey Him. Yep. Don't really think we could uh, wrap it up any better than that. So I do. Uh, oh, you do? Yeah. You got you. Got more?
2: Yeah, I do. Okay. Let's see. P. Peter denies his lord and cries. (laughs) Uh, Oh. Oh. Xerxes the Great did die. And so must you and I. That's a good one. (laughs) Youth forward slips. Death soonest nips. Nips.
1: (laughs) Nips. Well, He's nipping he,
2: death is, is a little so I'm guessing that the little girl here there, there's a picture of this woodblock cutting that that this little girl I'm guessing probably sinned or something and it's going to cause her to die and like there's a skeleton that I'm guessing is death with an arrow in his hand uh, pointing aggressively at the little girl's head
1: huh. so I'm guessing that's how that death is. Nips. that is terrifying <laughs> it is <laughs> Well, that's how we can end yeah, it. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna teach you're gonna teach little Teddy that.
2: I am. You know what? We sure don't do catechisms like, like we used to or primers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, on that positive and encouraging note. K Love. Uh, not not K Love. Never K Love. <laughs> I mean if K Love wanted to put us on the on the air, then fine, but I mean we'd be pretty pretty against everything that they do and everything that their audience wants to hear because you know we've just spent over an hour here talking about sin and misery that's right I we i did say that i think this is the
2: darkest topic of of the catechism and probably the same for the shorter then
1: (laughs) yep so we got nowhere to go but up
2: that's right also
1: i'm gonna we're gonna fix our tech stuff so we don't like you know have these strange losses of a few minutes of our episode, like we had earlier tonight, <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: uh, gonna, gonna work with some, maybe some new programs and stuff and, uh, we'll get the bugs worked out. But anyway, as always, we thank you for listening to once for all delivered. If you like what you've heard, uh, you can, uh, leave us a rating and a review, help work the algorithm magic, share us with your friends, uh, tell people uh, if you have questions for us. Oh, sorry. Before that, also if you like what we're doing, you can consider becoming a paid subscriber. You can go to onceforalldelivered.com and find out how to do that. If you want to support the work we're doing, uh, help well, us get and better. If,
2: I mean, and if you also don't like the work that we're doing and uh, or us, uh, you can still subscribe, share to your friends, and uh, consider donating just to see what you know how we can further infuriate you so that would be fine
1: too that's true yeah i mean it's if you yeah. if you need some help like raising your blood pressure or whatever and we help you with that then <laughs> help us to continue we got um, you ma'am <laughs> you can follow us on social media we're on most platforms uh at ofad podcast of course on youtube you may already know that if you're watching uh but subscribe to our youtube I think we're going to keep trying to do these live shows and we'll get the bugs worked out of them. But, uh, so that's the way you can get our stuff first and live and you can watch us make all the mistakes. So anyway, <laughs> it's
2: also more fun and dynamic getting to actually like interact and seeing each other's face and stuff. Yeah. It, it, it seems a little more natural than when we tend to do it at a, you know, a, we do our, our regular recording sessions. So
1: i have fun yeah yeah fun that's what matters so um i guess that other thing is we still need a pithy sign-off phrase oh yeah uh
2: so, until then i could just keep reading quotes of the new
1: england primer um you could you, you know. got about six seconds oh no then uh, adams follow me send all. pithy sign-off phrase
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. For the latest news and updates, visit our Substack at onceforalldelivered.com, where you can also support our work with a paid subscription. You can also follow us on social media at Podcast. If you like what you have heard, leave a 5-star review where you get your podcasts and spread the word about the show. Once for All Delivered is hosted by Andrew Smith and Caleb Castro and produced by Andrew and Heidi Smith. A special thank you to our founding members, Eric and Kathy Hepker. We hope you will join us again next time on Once for All Delivered.